You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou fount of every blessing. So let's get into Mark chapter 1 verse 22 and and to recognize um, something that's going on here that I think is really uh, deep and profound with the Jesus story. And it should be said last week we were in verses uh, 9 through 12. And and in those verses, 9 through 11, actually, two times ago, and then verse 12, uh, last time around. And in verse 12, we talked about this, the Spirit compelling Jesus to go into the, into the wilderness and how each of us, when that fracture occurs in our life, we, we are compelled to go into the wilderness. And that wilderness representing this gateway, this shift, this fracture that moves us from ethnocentricity to to the the qualities that come with this later stage of world centricity and uh, and so mark 1:22 has a skipping past i should say verse 20 through 21 and this is where we'll just kind of briefly mention this is where jesus comes across the sons of zebedee james and john and calls them to to go with him to be his disciples and and they leave their fishing boats and begin following with Jesus and it says that uh, he then takes them into the town of Capernaum and then when the sabbath day came he goes into the synagogue and begins to teach And so when he goes into the synagogue, we get to verse 22. And and verse 22 is the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And I want to stop here for a moment and just talk about institutions for a second. When, When a religion begins, when a religion starts, if you can go back to those early years of whatever religion it is, first thing that we need to recognize is that the people have a need. The people, whatever they're, they're either under uh, repression from some other group. Uh, there may be some major uh, health concern like a plague. There, there may be some question that's just floating around in the milieu and, and it's got people worried so maybe there's uh, an outside group threatening to attack. But whatever it is, there's something on the mind of the people that a segment of the people are ready. They're vulnerable to something new and dynamic. They're open. 
They want something to change. They want to be reassured. They want some new promise. And when this happens, when a new religion starts and the ground is fertile like we just talked about, in comes a charismatic leader. And the charismatic leader makes uh, big promises. He shares big ideas. And this person says they get this directly from God. And hence, there's a new messenger. And this messenger, again, just the idea of being charismatic, he's got energy, he knows how to, to, to say things in a way to win people over. He knows how to utilize, knowingly or unknowingly, some psychological mechanisms that encourage belief, that motivate people to, to jump in with the movement. But when this charismatic leader dies or is no longer in the picture for some other reason, what happens then is that other followers move to the top in a power struggle. These people who follow tend not to be as charismatic. They tend not to be as expansive in their thought. Like they're not about breaking new ground. They're about taking the lead in this institution where there's now a authority vacuum, right? There's now this vacuum of leadership and they simply want to fill that. And so they don't tend to be as charismatic. They don't tend to be as expansive in their ideas or their thoughts. What they, what they tend to do is say like, hey, this other guy set this up and, and I or we are going to keep perpetuating this. And when you look at any religious institution as it starts with that charismatic leader, as that charismatic leader dies or vacates the uh, office of that institution, all of a sudden these other folks come scratching and clawing for leadership. Whoever ends up getting that position and being the leader within that institution, it is crucial for them to continue to give credibility to the charismatic leader that came before them and to perpetuate the ground that he broke without breaking new ground. And so you'll see in religious institutions that they become very stagnant very quickly. And the entire culture of that institution then becomes, that guy gave us this stuff, Let's hold that and not allow it to be contaminated, right? Like this, this charismatic leader gave us all these incredible ideas from God. Let's not let anybody come afterward and contaminate that. And so there's this motivation to hold the ground that's already there and not push for anything new unless the pressure from within or from without becomes so great that the institution is going to either die or change. And some institutions decide to continue to hold that ground and they will die. And other institutions open themselves up to change and some of them, not all, some of them continue and live on. And this pattern tends to hold up across the board in religious institutions. So then what happens in these institutions, if you, if you step into them in modern days, they've got a curriculum. They've got spelled out instructions for the topics that the minister is to speak on. They've got spelled out instructions on what the subject's going to be 
on uh, week three of the calendar year for the Sunday school manual. And the flexibility to go off in different directions is limited. Whereas if you step back in those early days of that religious movement, it was fly by the seat of your pants. And that was the excitingness. And now today, what is the culture is that, hey, it's been established. We have it. Let's stick to it. And so you'll find that the teachers are only reiterating what has been said before them. They're not speaking on their own ground. They're not, they're not speaking about their own perspectives and opinions and any light that they are revealing to those in the class or those in the congregation. They're only repeating what has already been said. And when you hear somebody repeating a lesson or giving a sermon that you've heard a thousand times before, you realize like, oh, this is what we have to do. We do this thing. And there isn't anything new or fresh here. It becomes a stagnant pool of water and in some ways becomes boring and becomes almost toxic because you're just not being filled with new light. Now, going back into Mark verse 122, the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Jesus was something different. Jesus taught with authority. Now, when you, when you grapple, if you've, if you've stepped into the stages of development, if you kind of are beginning to sense, like, what does this look like and how does this work? When you are in ethnocentricity, again, and we're going to hash these things out a million times, and I, I know for some of you, you're going to be like, ah, oh, here we go again. But I, I hope that you begin to catch the vision of like how important these discussions are in your own personal faith journey. In ethnocentricity, you like the consistency of the lessons. You like the fact that we're hashing out again that thing we've hashed out a thousand times and we can all raise our hand and give the Sunday school answer and reassure ourselves. We can reassure ourselves that, hey, you belong and I belong and we are doing this the right way. And it becomes a, a ground, a space where the whole goal is to ensure that the boundaries haven't changed. When you leave ethnocentricity, you stop looking for that conformity and you begin to look for new voices. You begin to look for wisdom outside your tribe. You begin to look for people who are saying, who's saying like, hey, here's a new idea. We haven't thought of it this way before. And rather than hear that new idea and condemn it, we grab it like it's manna in the desert. We reach out for it and we want it and it's delicious. We want new ideas. We recognize the old ideas are stagnant and we also recognize the old ideas don't even fit perfectly like we thought they did. And so we're looking for new connections. We're looking for new light. And here is Jesus who people see as having real authority. In other words, his locus of authority is inside himself and he's sharing his own wisdom rather than rehashing what the teachers of the religious law did. 
When one is in an ethnocentric stage, one, one's locus of authority, one's location of authority is outside themselves, but within the tribe. When one goes into the wilderness, the first thing one does is one loses some level of confidence in the voices within their tribe, and they begin looking for wisdom in voices outside their tribe. Now, again, this scares the Orthodox members of the faith. This scares them. When, when somebody hears wisdom from outside the tribe that's different than what's being said in the rhetoric inside the tribe, people inside the tribe in orthodoxy, in ethnocentricity, they feel threatened. Some people love the new light. Some people reject it. Because, and not because it's true or it's false, but because it's different, because it's new, because it didn't come from their authorities. When you enter the wilderness, you begin to look for wisdom in voices outside your tribe. My guess is these are the people who were amazed at Jesus because he taught as one having authority. Eventually, yes, you lose confidence in the voices inside your tribe to some extent. Yes, you begin to listen to voices outside your tribe for wisdom. But at some point, you reach a place where you recognize that there is wisdom inside of you. Like you have wisdom. You have something valuable. You have something worth sharing. And it's not an arrogance like, hey, let me tell you what I know because I've got smart stuff inside my brain. No, it's when people are searching and contemplating and thinking through things and you're in these conversations where it just naturally, just a natural outflow of that conversation is you imparting uh, an idea or a concept to a person or the group. And it just naturally contains this wisdom because you have your own authority within you and you no longer are looking to the left and to the right to receive reassurance through words or body language that what you are saying is wisdom. You just know like you're confident in the ground you hold and you realize like there's this new idea and I know it's true and, and it can help all of us as we think through these things, and it just is a natural outflow in these conversations, you hold your own ground. You are your own authority. And this is what's happening to Jesus. Those who are ethnocentric, they rely on the experts and the authorities of their tribe. They know their authorities have the right answers, or at worst, will soon have them and that all other authorities are at best misinformed and at worst working in cahoots with the adversary himself. They are deceived or actively trying to deceive. When one leaves this ethnocentricity and moves into the wilderness, one begins to question the authorities within one's tribe. This is important to grasp at. If you're Catholic, you begin to realize that the Catholic Church made serious mistakes and some of those run extremely counter to what your idea of God is. And you start to question that and you start to figure out like, where was it from God and where wasn't it? And when did my leaders speak for God and when didn't they? And this is working within all religions. One comes to grips that the authorities inside one's tribe 
lacks answers, and seemingly even makes serious and grievous mistakes and errors that cause harm and trauma unnecessarily to others. One perceives there are voices outside the tribe that speak more to the center of truth and who seem to contain more wisdom than the inside authorities. Eventually, as one wrestles in the wilderness, one emerges having their locus of outside authority move to an inner authority where the individual themselves honors their inner voice and their ability to decide truth and to navigate right and wrong. People who heard Jesus teach seem to recognize that his locus of authority had moved from outside as it was with the religious teachers of the law to a locus of inner authority where Jesus spoke having confidence in his own ground, and no longer needed to look to others to decide morality or to decide the right and wrong, and to teach confidently, even in the midst of contradicting or disagreeing with the authorities of one's tribe. And you can see this in people. If you're in a religious institution, look for those who raise a hand with with a different perspective and who seem confident in spite of the majority of that room being really uncomfortable with that perspective. Like they're not looking around for, for the head bobs up and down. They're not retreating when they feel resistance. Rather, they're confident in their voice. They're confident in the wisdom and what they have to share. That doesn't mean it'll be accepted. Doesn't mean that it's going to be okay with everyone. There are people within every tribe, within every congregation, within every Sunday school who feel it is their job to prevent the contamination of the the inner authorities and their wisdom and the law that they've laid down. And so when someone else comes along and shares that new ground for them, that new wisdom, you would like to think that people would welcome that with open arms. And the reality is that's not how it works. Very few people will welcome with open arms wisdom when that wisdom contradicts the tribe and its authorities. As you go out over the course of the next few weeks, and maybe you're thinking about this episode, and as maybe you're participating in some type of group And it doesn't have to be a religious institution. It could be Rotary. It could be Kiwanis. It could be um, a bowling league. It It could be anything where there is group dynamics and there are rules. And maybe look around and notice the mechanisms that are in place to get people to conform to a certain way of doing things and to look for those who don't mind being a little different and aren't looking for the approval of those around them. And maybe look inward on yourself and ask yourself, like when you're in group dynamics, when you're in a group, do the mechanisms pressure you? Do you feel that inside of yourself to conform? Or do you feel strength in letting your voice be heard, even if it's different, even if there's resistance within the group? Thank you for listening today. Catch you next time on the Mythical Jesus podcast. 
taking the Christ of faith seriously, check us out at christoffaith.org. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing.